Hey, great podcast today. We start with, hey, how healthy are we? If we're going to go into a war, how healthy are we? You know, do we have enough bullets? Uh, Do we have the country behind it? Uh, Do we have our strategic oil reserves? How about money to be able to fight a war? We show you how much the United States is borrowing every single day and what it means to you and your family. Then we also talked to Carol Roth, the author of a book that just came out today, You Will Own Nothing. It's a great companion book with, uh, with my book that is uh, out dark, dark Future. Really, they were written kind of together. We worked uh, hand in hand on what are you going to cover that I can't cover, etc., etc. It's a great companion book. Uh, Dark Future is my book. Her book is You Will Own Nothing. Then we talked politics, and we kind of ended up in a very philosophical place on what is real and what isn't. Don't miss a second of today's podcast. Brought to you by Relief Factor. If you are in pain, may I suggest you just try one more thing. I know, I know, you've tried everything, you can't get it, uh, and you've been to every single doctor you can imagine, and you've tried some of the strongest things out there, that's the one that's going to work, and nothing have. And then, I come to you on the radio or in the podcast, and I say, no, really, you should try this, you know. Uh, It's all natural. If you're like me at all, all natural. That is, either it doesn't taste good if it's a food, or it doesn't work if it's a medicine. This is the very first thing that I have ever tried that is, you know, all natural, that reduces inflammation. Nothing ever works for me on that to get me out of pain. This does. Will you just try it? Go to relieffactor.com. Get the three-week quick start. Relieffactor.com or call 800, the number four, relief. 804 relief Here's the podcast. problems we have with america is a lack of storytelling we're telling our history in dates um, and then we're telling our future uh in movies and we're doing it in a way where it's not credible i mean this is why i wrote the the book dark future uh which pick up your copy now wherever books are sold uh it has i I don't even know thousand two thousand footnotes in it because people need to understand that this is real, not science fiction. And I'm up at the uh, ranch at the Standing Rock Ranch, and every year um, I am holding a uh, symposium here at the ranch with the Inspired Arts Arts League. And we have some of the best artists uh, in America. I mean, it's Jeremy Lipking and, and Albin Veselka and Adrian Stein and Quang Ho and all of these people from all over the country and the world coming here uh, and we learn story, how to tell stories because people, you know, when you went into the churches in the medieval days, that's what the stained glass windows were for. People couldn't read. And so they would look and they would learn the story through art. We have a guy who is here, who's teaching us this week. And he is, uh, he's the guy responsible for, Oh, the design of some of the best movies you've ever seen far as, you know, um, animated movies. Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. He did all of, you know, a lot of these movies. And then he went on to work with Marvel to problem solve for Marvel. 
the problem is uh, we have lost our story entirely and it's being replaced right now. That's what the book Dark Future is about. The great narrative. It's being replaced with a new story and new traditions. You remember what Michelle Obama said? We'll have to have new traditions. Well, we do. Uh, Pat is here to talk to us about uh, what this month is celebrating, which, of course, I know, Pat, because you're not a hater. Mm-hmm. You've already been making a big deal out of it in this new tradition. Mm-hmm. It's, of mm-hmm. course, July is. Of course. And I, I'd never insult, uh, you know, the <laughs> no, listeners I... to the show by speaking it out loud. Something they already know so well, <laughs> you know. <Really? laughs> Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. That's how wanna... holy it is yeah. to you. Yes, wow. exactly. Wow. That's, that's, exactly. That is good. In that a way, I now good. feel bad for good. even at, mm-hmm. because we yeah, have said the I name know. because we obviously are yeah. so in tune with this. And, so and, in tune. And now yeah. I feel like we've... our listeners are going to be <laughs> they're going to be sick of us repeating the name of what we're celebrating this week, which is Glenn uh, of this month. Glenn. Uh, handicapped Pride Month. <laughs> Definitely not a hand. What? what when's the no. last year they used handicapped well, in one of these names? Like 1840, <laughs> maybe. It is, uh, of course, as we all know, Disability Disabled. Pride Month. Dis- yeah, of course, Disability. Of course. Yeah, Pride, Pride Month. Pride I was month. You're I proud wish, of your disability. disability. Well, yes, and you actually got it right, mm-hmm. Pat. Of course, you're mm-hmm. as you mentioned, you're an expert on this. Yeah, um, but honestly, I actually at first honestly, thought, no. are we celebrating mm-hmm. like? another version of pride month for disabled people mm-hmm. do they get their own like the month? one-legged lesbian right is mm-hmm. that right it's, okay is this her month but no is no this her month it's just celebrating no. people generally who have disabilities so they're taking pride in so, these disabilities okay okay right. mm-hmm. i Which, again, of course we all know like, we all know <laughs> again yes, but, yeah. yeah i've got mm-hmm. my tree up i've had my tree up since <laughs> may where you just I, I get so excited about do this. you decorate yours with um, prosthetics like i do because <laughs> Uh, well, no, that's a good idea. I just take all the toy soldiers and break a leg or an arm off. Okay. Uh, right. And uh, so, uh, I mean, wow. I can't even believe how so many that's different weird. months there are. We went yeah. over this when one day you were out, Glenn, and we went through the whole calendar. And but it, that was LGBTQQIA2+. 2+, plus two plus, which stuff. I guess would not include disability. <laughs> no. Pride no, month. Not. No, of course not. No. no. That's right. unless you're gay or bi or two spirited, right. then you would be yeah. in that group mm-hmm. if you were that and disabled. Right. But now I think it's a little unfair because if you're gay and dis- disabled, you get two months. What if? Well, I think you should get three. Honestly, I mean, shouldn't August be Disability Pride Pride Month? Oh, I'm just throwing it out huh. there. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like we should embrace this. It okay. probably will be next year. Next right. year. <laughs> yeah, it probably will be. Okay. All right. Uh, it really is incredible. So, um, I don't know how we so got weird. here. I slowly but surely. Yeah. Steadily. And we ignored too it's, many things. You know, yeah. It's like how does somebody uh, go bankrupt? Very slowly mm-hmm. and then all at once. Yeah. Uh, we didn't notice the very slowly part. And uh, we're noticing the all at once part, which is which is so good as we're here on the eve of not only another very special uh, pride month, but also on the eve of World War Two, I think or three. I think that is (laughs) 
<laughs> Man, I feel warm inside. I feel like 7,000 degrees warm inside, but mm-hmm. uh, just really, it's really special. It's well, really I, special. I go back to last week and this, the original story that Kamala Harris told about the two frogs, you know, because that mm. nobody's heard that Wait. and it really resonated with me. Did she write that? Was that an original piece She wrote piece that, I think, writing? just last week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Good heavens. I've missed the Kamala Harris. <laughs> oh, you two missed fr- the. Two How fr- did I miss it? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Glenn, if you put one frog in a pot of water and you slowly turn up the heat, that frog's just going to stay in there and enjoy it until he dies. But the other frog, Mm. if you put the frog in the water and then turn it up really high, really fast, that frog will jump out of the pot. Wow. And that's uh, what happened to us, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We were the first Uh, frog. Huh. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that's actually true. It isn't true. Um, no, it isn't. It's yeah. Not true. So uh, both frogs will jump nice out of the fairy pot. tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, mm-hmm. again, a very nice fairy tale <laughs> given to us by uh, Kamala Harris. Indeed. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but um, if Biden were to drop out, mm-hmm. there is a three way. <laughs> this is how bad it is for the Democrats. There's a three-way tie. 18% of Democratic voters would say, I'm with Kamala Harris. Okay. The v- the, you okay. think the sitting VP would have 75% of the vote, right? Yeah, uh, that should. Think. Eight, eight, and it's 18. 18. Which I thought was high. <laughs> 18. Second, second is Hillary Clinton at 15. Oh my gosh. Third is Bernie Sanders at 12. Yeah, the Democrats are in good shape, aren't they? Yeah, the best Ooh, I, really the best part really about really this poll are. is is the face made by Gavin Newsom. When oh he reads yeah, it. I love it. I love oh, the idea of this so guy great. sitting there opening up this poll and realizing he's not even in the top three because you know what? He really yeah. thinks he's in the top three. He oh, thinks yeah. he's number one by a mile. He does, and he's not. Well, well, you also have uh, those receiving. At least 4%. California Governor Gavin Newsom, Mm. uh, Pete Buttigieg, Robert F. Kennedy, Elizabeth Warren, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Stacey Abrams. I mean, Mm. you could pick any of those and I'd be happy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. They really do have a bad Oh, my gosh. They do. They they don't have have nothing. Is AOC even old enough now to be president? She turns 35 in uh, October. Okay. I didn't think she she was currently. She isn't currently. In October, she she is. is. She would qualify for it because she turns, Mm. I think it's it's October. You were such such an ageist. You're going on that old dusty document, and you have to be mm-hmm. at least 35. What an Sorry. ageist you yeah. are. Mm-hmm. I'm so I, sick of it. I know. She could just identify the, as 38, mm-hmm. you know? And <laughs> right. Why not? We, we we're changing by everything the way, else. By the way, before we get to Stacey Abrams, let's remember that Biden is still in the race, but he's facing two foes. One is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and the other that doesn't get a lot of talk is self-help author Marianne Williamson. Uh, <laughs> and she'll cuddle. Mm-hmm. She'll cuddle with Putin and it'll be, mm-hmm. I mean, the war will be over. She'll be like, let me just, let's hug it out. Can <laughs> let's I, hug it out. Can I make a p- potentially unpopular point with mm-hmm. the audience for a moment here? Mm-hmm. Have we come to the point that we've oversold how well RFK Jr. is doing in this race? 
Like, I understand mm. that there's a lot of people on the right who have this affinity, this sudden affinity for mm. RFK I don't, Jr. The don't. Ma- oh, I don't. Well, you, don't. You don't, Glenn, because, Run. you know, he basically threatened your life in front of thousands yeah. of people. So I can yeah. understand why you might not be coming along uh, for that one. He uh, accused you of treason and said you should be uh, treated like a traitor and this along is over with Rush This over climate change, uh, right? Over climate change. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. all. Uh, but I would like to say it's overstated. He said thousands of people. It was on CNN, so it was maybe a couple hundred people. Yeah. No, it was at a big uh, live event. He said it on stage at a massive oh. live event where oh. there were a lot of people uh, who, who saw it. Mm. Wow. And, and like, I, I get that, like, because I've said it, the fact that, <laughs> that RFK Jr. is hitting 20% is is a crazy, crazy thing. It shouldn't mm-hmm. happen. And it crazy. shows how, one, there's a lot of name recognition for RFK Jr. Two, he probably is connecting with some people in the Democratic Party. Yeah. Three, Joe Biden's really, really bad. So right. there's a point to make there that he's hitting 20%. However, I will say, everyone says this, that he's hitting 20%. That one poll where he hit 20% was two months ago. He's have now had two months of polling where he has not hit 20%. He is behind. What does he hit? He's. Uh, let me see. I'll bring it up here in a second. If uh, let's see, Democratic nomination. Um, uh, he has not hit twenty percent in two months. He's been hitting between uh, eight and eight. Wow. Fifteen. Oh now, man. And we joke. Wow. We, a lot of people will sit here and say, "Oh well, Ron DeSantis is is a total disaster. He's thirty and forty points behind." There hasn't been a poll where. Uh, RFK Jr. has been within 40 points at all. I mean, it's been months at least since we've seen that. In addition, the Marianne Williamson thing is interesting, right? Marianne Williamson, we can all agree, is a zilch of a candidate, right? Like, she's not a real candidate. Yes, She is nothing, right? mm -hmm. Like, no offense to her, but, like, she does not have a constituency. She is just basically nothing. Like, let me give you a couple of polls here. Like, the Yahoo News poll from, this is from June 20th, uh, Biden 67 Williamson four, Kennedy eight. Like, okay, he's four points ahead of Marianne Williamson in this poll. Sure, right? Like, so he's doing okay. really well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some All polls, right. some polls, he's up by ten. Some polls, he's up by uh, you know, like he's up by eleven. Over her. He's up by seven. Yeah, he's but, up by twelve over but, her. But like, that is the difference between any. You could throw any name on there, and they're going to get the seven percent in one of these polls, mm-hmm. and he's getting twelve. Well, He's getting 17. Well, He's getting 15. Like, hey. I'm not saying it's nothing, right? He And he's shown, like, some ability to to connect to the right and to the center, which is impressive, mm-hmm. right? There are some it, things he's doing. Crazy. But let's not overstate this. He's not do, he's not competitive in this race at all. No. He's losing by 40 and 50 points in every single poll. Mm. And yeah, are, but that's only because once you get Marianne Williamson to drop out, <laughs> you know, then that thing is a juggernaut. <laughs> This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. I wanted to bring Carol Roth on today. She is the author of a new book, comes out today, You Will Own Nothing. Uh, It is a great companion book for my book, uh, Dark Future. If you go and you buy one of them, you'll see these uh, two items most uh, uh, bought uh, together. Um, Because I'm showing you the, the mechanics of the machine and Carol it takes the, not only the mechanics of the machine, but she takes it and now lays it out for what your life is, what it's going to look like, how it's going to come down, and, uh, and more importantly, what to do about it. Hi, Carol. How are you? 
Hi, Glenn. I'm doing well. And again, congratulations on Dark Future. And I do love seeing that every time you go to one of those online sites and they say, these books are frequently brought together. Dark Future, yeah, you know. nothing, because we've been strategizing on this together and talking about it for like well over a year. So, Carol, let me let me I want to just take you through the chapters of your book, because it starts with socially unacceptable and social credit scores. And there are so many people that don't know about social credit scores or when they hear it, they're like, that's crazy. That's not going to happen here. It is happening here. So take me through chapter one, just highlights. Yeah, so with Chapter 1, we really kind of see um, what's happening with social credit. And I would would offer that there are sort of three phases. One is cancel culture, where it's really, you know, kind of people going after your social standing, which is the way that you get opportunities. They go after your jobs, um, which is obviously your income. And in some cases, they go after your business. And that gets kind of formalized into a sort of hybrid, loose social credit system you know, maybe the state's involved, but, you know, they haven't kind of formalized a, a number grading system. And then you get to what China has, which is a, a full graded system, although it's still developing and it's sort of on a jurisdiction by jurisdiction basis. So if you think about what happened during covid if you were wrong think, if you were the ones who weren't wearing masks and you know, not taking a vaccine, people were coming at you, whether it was your neighbor or in some cases the state. You couldn't go to a restaurant. You, you know, in some cases, were, um, they took a picture of you and put it on social media that you weren't wearing a mask. They were calling your employer. Um, if you think about what the Biden executive orders, you in some places couldn't have a job or just the threat to businesses from the state that this executive order came down, well, we're not really in it and required, but boy, we don't want to take that heat. So we feel the pressure, even though there isn't sort of that formal mandate to us. And then we actually saw the taking of assets, right? We saw businesses, particularly small businesses, being shut down, again, not based on data and science, but based on political clout and connections. Our neighbors to the north, uh, if you were part of that uh, trucker freedom convoy, you saw your bank account being seized. And we're seeing it, you know, it, across, you know, being deplatformed. We're seeing collusion with the state. So this idea that you know, that social credit is just about you know, quashing your, your right to speech, there's a, a huge financial tie there as well, and really trying to manipulate people's behaviors. You know, whether you're the Joe Rogan or Dave Chappelle or you know just a person on the street, trying to manipulate that based on what a small group of people are saying is moral and right. So you say this leads us to a new financial world order, but you say it's coming in two parts. And the first one is about debt. Yeah, so the the whole concept of a a new financial world order, a new world order, sounds very conspiratorial. And one of the things that I wanted to do with this book is take the conspiracy theory out of it. 
because, you know, it's very easy for people to say, oh, you know, New World Order, that sounds tinfoil hatty, I'm going to dismiss it. But as you wrote also in your book, and, and I cover it and you own nothing, you, all you need to do is go to the White House's website, you look at the speech that Correct. Joe Biden gave to the, to the Business Roundtable March 21st, 2022, and he walks through this. New financial world orders happen on a regular basis. We're about 80 years into ours being at the center of the financial universe. But before us, it was the British. And before the British, it was the Dutch. And so this is something that if you are elite and well-connected, you already know. And so Joe Biden says this. He says, you know, it's going to every three or four generations, there's a a new financial order and there's going to be a new world order out there and and we've got to lead it. And I'm pretty sure when he's talking to Business Roundtable, he's talking to those business elite, probably not me and you, Glenn, and probably not the people who are listening here today. Exactly Um, right. Yeah. So, so if you're these people and you're seeing that the global financial stakes are shifting, do you just kind of sit back and hope everything works out for you? Or do you jockey to try to make sure that you and your cronies stay on top, retain your wealth and retain your power? I don't think it's, it's at all conspiratorial. I think anybody with a brain would say, of course, you're going to try and do those kinds of things. So this, this, and it's, piece, it, 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 it's not necessarily, hang on just a second, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's, it's not just, we expect that to be true. When 2008 came along, in 2006, I was talking to the guys that were all in Wall Street and financial sectors, and I said, guys, this doesn't work. And they would all fall back and say, Glenn, there's too much money at stake. All of the big thinkers are making sure that everything is taken care of. Well, we expected that. That's what their excuse was. You don't understand the system, and there's too much money at stake. There's too much money at stake, and so all of the big players, they know that. And what are we going to do to protect it? So it doesn't have to be nefarious. In this case, I think it is. But it doesn't have to be nefarious. It's logical that they would do that. It very much is, and it's a very much a, a rhyme of history. It's that uh, famous saying that's attributed to Mark Twain that history doesn't repeat itself, but it often does rhyme. And so you can kind of see these cycles. And lots of thinkers who are very well regarded will talk to you about these historical cycles. So when you look at this new financial world order, it, one of the things that, that occurs to me is that major economies don't you know, get sort of taken over by the outside. They really implode from within. And you can go all the way back to Rome from this, right? This is all an internal undoing that, you know, maybe there's a catalyst at the end, but it goes from, you know, basically where you have stable money to having way too much debt and excesses, and then you have to let your military lapse and all these kinds of things. And so that's really where this, this first part of the new financial world order is, is all the things that we have done internally to put ourselves in this position, whether it's having public debt to GDP of 125%, which even you know the IMF has said is unstable, the Treasury has said is unstable, the CBO has said it's unstable, so that, that does not sound very conspiracy theory to me. Whether it's the Biden administration weaponizing the dollar when they decided to freeze Russia's reserve assets after they invaded so Ukraine. So Uh, The fact that the Fed has not kept the dollar stable on the international stage. Oh, by the way, they haven't kept it stable at home either, which is an amazing feat. Usually it's one or the other. 
So all these kinds of things move us, you know, in that cycle that we have, at the, being at the center of the financial universe, all of these things move us further to the edge. And we're all seeing the repercussions. We're seeing some of the de-dollarization already. We're seeing the BRICS countries come out and say we're trying to have a, a new currency. We know the impact of the, the debt load. We've seen the inflation Again, none of, all of this is very well documented, and so really important and center to you will own nothing was me going in, and you know almost every paragraph has a little note on it where you can find the information. And if I had a choice, by the way, of where to source the information, I went to the corporate press because it's much harder for somebody who's trying to say this is a conspiracy theory to say what I point yep. out. Oh, this was in the Washington Post and Reuters, and whatever. It's much harder for them to dismiss it so carol let's talk a little bit about debt um the numbers are so big uh that nobody thinks that anything's going to happen to this they 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 don't even begin to understand um and when we have huge debt like this and let's say we go to war we don't have the money to pay for the war and when everyone's in debt and that bubble starts to burst uh, all kinds of bad things follow. What's going to happen to our debt? How do you explain borrowing five billion, five point one billion dollars every day? What that means? I mean, it's it's so staggering. No wonder people can't get their their head wrapped around it. And I blame um, you know, some of these people who are in the MMT. Area That stands for Modern Monetary Theory. I call it a name that I heard elsewhere called Magic Money Tree. Because the idea Mm. is that if you own a printing press, you can never default on your debt because you can print more money, which I guess is true in theory, um, but it just absolutely obliterates the value of the dollar. And I think what so many people forget is that money is just a proxy. It's a proxy for the fruits of your labor, for productivity. It's a a convenience so that we no longer have to to trade and go, oh, well, I have an egg and you're a doctor and I need a, someone else needs a cow and how do we all sort this out? It's a proxy, but it's a proxy for that productivity. So if you print more dollars and there's no additional productivity, then you debase everything at least on a one-to-one basis. I would... I would venture to say that with compounding, it's actually a a worse scenario. And we saw this um, over the past few years when everybody wanted stimulus checks. They said, oh, you know, I need my Donnie dollars and I need my Biden bucks here. Give me my $1,000. Give me my $1,200. And there were people like you and me standing up going, no, don't do this. This is a trick. You're going to end up spending seven to $10,000 for the rest of your life. But most people don't understand that. So when you see the, the debt levels going up, there are a couple of things that are happening concurrently. One is that you know, we no longer have these central banks around the world who want to, to, to buy that debt. And if you think about what happened during COVID is who came in to buy that debt. It wasn't other central banks, and you know, for, to the, for a large part, it wasn't your traditional investors. It was the Federal Reserve, <laughs> again. Which, which is up- just a, col- a collection of private banks, all the banks, the biggest ones, that are all in trouble, borrowing money from the Fed. The Fed is, th- it's just the, it's those banks 
and they they elect uh, uh, people to go sit in and give monetary policy for the United States as a private institution. So if you think the banks are unstable, they're the ones printing the money and giving it to us. That doesn't yeah, sound good. No, and, and and they're they're making up. When you think of a printer, you actually think of like a physical money printer. This is just an entry. It's like basically going into your bank account and being like, "Oh, Glenn, let's just put a million dollars in there, and we'll go shopping." If you and I did that, it would be fraud. We'd go to jail. When the Fed does it, it's monetary policy. I'm not sure how that sort right. of puts together. And- you talk about this in the incredible shrinking dollar. This is chapter four. And I, I, I want you to go over the reason why this isn't insanity this time, or so they say, is that we um, have entered a new modern era where technology will control inflation so we can print as much as we want and yeah it'll cause inflation but we have the technology now to keep that under control and that technology is just monitoring what every single person does wants and spends correct Yes. Yeah, so this is sort of, you know, one of the big theses that we have is that because um, there is so much pressure on the Fed and the government with these debts that they're going to be desperate and they're going to be looking at any any ways that they can get themselves out of it. You own nothing. You will own nothing. Carol Roth's new book, The Best of the Glenn Beck Program. Let me start here because uh, the Washington Examiner uh, ranked all of the candidates that were in Iowa with us. And I think they rated them exactly the same we did. They said, Tim Scott, unfortunately for Scott, the interview with Carlson highlighted the South Carolina senator's least appealing side, his tendency to joke his way out of difficult situations. He had some non-answers, and that really didn't go well for him. But they they didn't think he was... They didn't think he destroyed himself. Where Asa Hutchinson, a mess. Mike Pence, another mess. Nikki Haley, I think they had the same, same exact, uh, you know, uh, view on her. Tucker Carlson went easy on her. He chose not to go after Haley in the way he went after Hutchinson and Pence, and didn't press her on some issues such as Ukraine. It allowed Haley to do things such as go off on a crowd-pleasing and plausible reading of the White House cocaine situation. Um, then Vivek, the youngest, 37, the youngest candidate with no governmental experience. Ramaswamy has made real inroads in the GOP race. Then Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, was the last candidate to, to appear, and he was the best. I think that's exactly the way we rated all of the candidates. And this, this is from the Washington Examiner. Yeah, I think that's a fair rating. I think just pure performance-wise, I had Ramaswamy slightly ahead of DeSantis. I think, you know, there's a difference between those two candidates in that, you know, Ramaswamy has a lot more to gain, right? People don't really know. It's He's kind of the first time, uh, it's sort of the first time that a lot of people have ever seen him uh, speak. So I think he had a more to gain there. Um, obviously, yeah. the, the profile of DeSantis is a, is a lot more consistent with someone who could actually win the nomination, where Ramaswamy is... You're not sure yet. Yeah, I think, you know, if you think about this, this 
the way this race has kind of spread out so far, you have obviously Trump at number one and DeSantis at number two. And then you have a huge group of people that you expect at some point someone's going to have a moment. If you think about the Pete Buttigieg run in 2020, like it's a it's a parallel that you could see Ramaswamy potentially hitting right where he's a really, you know, he's a good communicator. Can he get to 13, 14, 15 percent in these polls? I think it's possible. Yeah, I think that's that's legitimately possible. And that's about what what Buttigieg did. I'm hoping that he is a vice vice presidential candidate. Um, And, you know, I said earlier, I think that Ramaswamy will be the candidate that Donald Trump chooses. I have no idea because Trump could choose anyone uh and uh and uh and blow this all to hell but uh, (laughs) ramaswamy is the kind of guy that is a out-of-the-box thinker i think he would be deferential to trump um the only problem is is that donald trump might think that he might be overshadowed shadowed by ramaswamy but i don't think ramaswamy would would do that uh i think he would play a role but he would be a very good advisor to Trump. So yesterday, Ramaswamy uh, released a list of people he would consider nominating to the Supreme Court if he were elected president. Two of the candidates, Ted Cruz and Mike Lee. And I wish those were the only ones on his list, um, because I'd like to see both of those guys on the Supreme Court. And the next president could nominate be responsible for two other justices on the Supreme Court, and one of them might be a replacement for Clarence Thomas. And if he's not replaced by a Mike Lee or a Ted Cruz, we're in trouble. We need somebody who reads the Constitution as it was written. Um, I, I personally, even if we had control of the Senate, I would lose control of the Senate for those two. If they were both put onto the Supreme Court, I wouldn't care if we lost the Senate. Those two would be so important. Yeah, two seats of the Supreme Court, I think, would outweigh a you know a couple of years of Senate control. Uh, I would agree with you on that for sure. Yeah, especially with the Republican yeah. president. Um, though, I mean, there are other good judges you could go to. I mean, I, but Mike Lee. I mean, Mike Lee would be fantastic on the Supreme Court. He, Mike Lee know. is he is Mister Supreme Court, and he's. He's I don't mean this in a bad way because I love him and he's very funny in person. He is really very funny in person, but he's he's boring enough to be on the Supreme Court. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's like there's you're never going to see like, ah, Mike Lee swinging, you know, with the transvestite. It doesn't happen with Mike. There's (laughs) never going to be a scandal with Mike Lee. I I, just I would agree. He'll just his scandal will be. Well, I I read both sides and I read the Constitution and I think I have to side with we the people. That's as exciting as it'll ever get. Yeah. And to me, that's the Super Bowl of excitement that I want from Mike Lee. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I want to return to some boring politics every once in a while. Um, I like the I think I like, though, the new thing with candidates letting their Supreme Court picks out in advance. I I like it. I mean, Trump it was the trailblazer here, uh, mainly because people yep. didn't trust him on this stuff, and he right. he put this out. Now, of course, he did wind up picking two of his three justices that were not on his initial list, which I I didn't I, like that. I don't like that, but still, uh, he did. The first one was on the list, and that's essentially all he really promised. And you know, I think you have the three 
uh, Kavanaugh, I'm still a little, you know, uh, not so warm about, but the other two I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay with. I think he did a pretty good job there. And certainly, like, regardless of how these uh, these justices turn out, the fact that they got Roe versus Wade overturned is so monumental that it's hard yeah, to monumental. ever be critical of this. And I like the idea of, like, these candidates coming out and saying, here, I'm going to stand, I'm going to, this is a statement of principles. And they talk about a budget is essentially a statement of your principles, right? Where you really want to spend your money shows what you actually care about. This falls yeah. in that same category. And I, I wish they all would do this. I think that would be a really positive thing going forward. I think there's a change coming, though. I really do. I think we are on, if it's not this election, it will be the next election where we are going to have a generational change. And, uh, you know, assuming that we have a country or another election... Uh, I, I think we'll finally get these damn hippies out of power. <laughs> okay, Archie. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, there's another thing that he said yesterday, and I love this. Um, he said, uh, t- Biden's top focus appeared to be on diversity and race and gender. While I drew from diverse experiences, current and former federal judges and former solicitor general two U.S. senators, my sole criteria was to select candidates with an unwavering commitment to an originalist understanding of the U.S. Constitution, who also understand the unique threats to liberty in the 21st century, including lurking state action. Our courts remain the last line of defense against the overreach and weaponization of government government as president i will appoint judges who will protect the integrity of our constitutional republic i love that he also said uh that he was signing the women for america's legislative action committee's presidential promise to american women have you even heard of that i looked it up today and i read it i love this as president of the united states i promise to uphold the truth that women are exclusively female only women can get pregnant and bear children only women can be mothers under my administration the status and dignity of women and girls will not be compromised in law or policy there are two sexes if you have xx chromosomes you're a woman if you have xy chromosomes you're a man period gender dysphoria is a mental health disorder affirming kids confusion isn't compassion it's cruelty and that's the truth that's what he tweeted out yesterday can, donald trump has also signed this can you imagine reading this to someone five years ago they would think you were nuts like it's like it's Still. every single statement in that is blatantly obvious full stop Stu. We had uh, a proclamation for the family that was uh, released by my church in the 1990s. And it was insane. We all looked at it and went, what? Uh, I mean, what are they thinking? What? What? And it specifically talked about the roles of men and women and gender and that gender is ordained by God and there is no changing of gender. All of this stuff. And we're like, what are they even thinking? <laughs> yeah. In 1995, they did that. Mm. Now it's kind of like, huh, that seems pretty smart, almost prophetic. Yeah. Well, yeah. If I, not prophetic. They saw that coming for I sure. Mean, y- yeah. It were, and, I mean, so you, mm. you, you look at just five years ago, eight years ago, and that's what I really, I would really like you to talk to your friends who are lost in this and just say, Look, we know each other. No offense. I am not trying to change your mind. I want you to change my mind. T- 
tell me the new information that you received because i know you 10 years ago you would have said that's not true so let's follow the science here what new information did you receive about how this affects children um the suicide rate anything tell me the scientific evidence that has changed your mind they won't be able to do it so wait so so if the science is on the other side why did you change your mind and what's happened because you are a total you're in a completely different in position and a position that you would have said 10 years ago was the position of someone who was nuts how did you get there i think uh, you're totally right and you know what the answer of course is it's like i don't know twitter politics i i, I, I yeah. don't you know it's something it's something outside of science and reality and like i almost feel uncomfortable calling this science it's it's like these truths will be held as self, these are self-evident truths, right? This isn't even, you don't even have to go to science. We all know this inherently to be true. Um, you know, uh, right, but I'm, I'm, I'm only using that, sci- you know, no, no, tell me scientifically yeah. mm-hmm. because of an argument. I, I don't want to get into your feelings and everything else. Tell me. Let's follow the science. Let's follow the science. Yet this argument is entirely feelings. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with science. Yep. You know, this is, uh, uh, um, what's her face, uh, Rachel Levine, uh, the uh, very high-ranking official in our government who is transgender, talking about, uh, about this, talking about how children should have sec- access to sex reassignment services. And, and uh, Rachel says... Quote, adolescence is hard and puberty is hard. Okay, yeah, that's true. What if you're going through the wrong puberty? There's no such thing as the wrong puberty. That's not a, that's not a thing. What you're talking about is not an actual thing. There's no wrong puberty. That's not, that's not a thing. But then uh, Rachel I, goes on to say, what if it, you inside feel that you are female, but now you're going through a male puberty? And of course, the answer That's to that question, disorder. right? The answer to that question is your feelings are wrong. Your feelings are incorrect. That he's talking about a child here. This does not mean the child is a bad person, but lots of people have feelings that do not align with reality. And so the correction to that is to correct the feelings, not to correct the body to match your incorrect vibe if you feel that you are a man we don't correct the body to make you feel that way we instead work on you and your feelings so that you actually uh recognize reality because that's kind of important in our society glenn